You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to oklahomahof on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This podcast is brought to you by the Oklahoma Beef Council. On behalf of Oklahoma's 50,000 beef farming and ranching families, we are working hard every day to bring high-quality beef to your table. To learn more, visit oklabeef.org, link below. This episode is presented by the Choctaw Nation. The Choctaw people have a rich history and a bright future. At the Choctaw Cultural Center, you can take part in a story 14,000 years in the making. Stroll through our immersive exhibits portraying Choctaw life from the moment our ancestors emerged from the Nani Weha in Mississippian homelands to the Trail of Tears, where we lost so many loved ones, and finally to the modern-day tribe making a positive impact on local communities throughout southeastern Oklahoma. Try your hand at our social dancing and stickball and learn more about our vibrant culture through demonstrations, workshops, and classes. The kids will have a blast in our Luxie Activity Center. The Choctaw Cultural Center is more than a museum. It's a living, breathing experience. Visit ChoctawCulturalCenter.com to plan your visit. And let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This Is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Today, we are in the northwestern part of Oklahoma. I have never been up here before, and I'm glad I actually came up here because I think a lot of people probably don't make it out this way unless they have a reason to, right? And a lot of people kind of probably, you know, stay around Oklahoma City, go up and down I-35. But we should explore the corners of the state because they are beautiful. Um, I am in Buffalo, Oklahoma today, or close to it. Uh, my guest is Tom Fanning, who has Buffalo Feeders, a family business. We're going to talk a little bit about animal care. Uh, thanks to the Oklahoma Beef Council, which brought us, brought us together today. Um, talk a little bit about the cattle industry and I mean, driving up here, I, you, you don't see much until you come over the hill and then you see your entire operation. You're like, okay, this is a pretty big deal around here. There's a lot of stuff going on. I'm excited to dive into the story, you know, around the cow business. But before we do, um, gen, generally the role, you know, the way this podcast goes is we talk a little bit about you and kind of how you get here today. So Tom, thanks for inviting us into your office and up here to your business. But um, let's start with, I mean, going way back. You're born and raised in Oklahoma. Well, yeah, first of all, thank you for coming up and, and driving all the way out here. It's a, it's a nice three-hour drive early in the morning, and uh, you pick the right time of day to come out. So Definitely, yeah. Uh, before the wind picks up and the dust starts blowing. So, uh, yeah, my name is Tom Fanning. I'm the manager here at Buffalo Feeders. I was uh, born and raised about 30 miles from, from here okay. in a small town called May. I uh, went to school in a in a little town called Fort Supply. Um, Graduated high school in 1983. Went to Oklahoma State um, uh, with a degree in Ag Econ. Um, While I was in in college, I had enlisted in the Army Reserves. So I, uh, I went to basic training the day after graduated high school and got back the day before college started. So had a had a good summer 
uh, of getting in shape. And uh, so spent a lot of time uh, doing military things and, and, uh, and like that during my uh, summer breaks from college. And uh, graduated in 87, uh, went on active duty in the military um, as a lieutenant in the infantry, um, was at Fort Benning, Georgia for quite a while, went to uh, airborne school, ranger school. Uh, after that, I was in uh, Europe uh, in the 2nd of the 4th Infantry, where we guarded the Pershing II mobile nuclear warheads. Um, after the, during the build-up to the first Gulf War, um, all of those things that were going on there was, was uh, uh, you know, the deactivation of the, of the Pershing II nuke missiles. The, uh, we guarded the removal of chemical weapons out of Europe. And um, anyway, transferred back to the Fort Benning, Georgia again, and uh, was getting uh, transferring out of the military. Uh, was an infantry captain at that time. Um, got a master's degree at Troy State University in Troy, Alabama in management. And, and then went to work for Cargill in, um, in 1992. I failed to mention that I got married in 1990. <laughs> 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 to Michelle, who's my wife. And uh, so this will be our 33rd anniversary this week. This week, congrats. Yeah. We have three children uh, Emily Shooping, um, Jake Fanning, and Lane Fanning, and then we have two granddaughters, uh, Ellis Shooping and Jolie Fanning. So we're most excited about the two granddaughters. Yeah, no doubt. That's uh, I mean that's exciting, right? To have yeah. you know you get to be you get to be grandparents and spoil the grandkids. That's right. It, it's it's the best job I've had so far. Yeah. Super. So growing up in May, small town. Very uh, small town, 40 people, yeah. no school. The, uh, naturally, agriculture is just part of the town and part of family, it's, and that's all you know growing up? Yeah, we, I grew up on a small, uh, very small farm, uh, alfalfa, some cattle, mm-hmm. uh, some wheat, and um, you know, was very involved in uh, the Future Farmers of America in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, so... You know, agriculture wasn't. Uh, it, it was basically, you know, where we lived and what we did. It was. It was kind of um, in our DNA, I guess you would say. And so, um, you know, doing a lot of things in the military, uh, I knew that my career. I wanted to get back into agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't exactly know where that was going to be or what that was going to be at the time, but. Um, you know the 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 process of of, of figuring that out uh, brought me to the cattle industry through Cargill, um, where I was in uh, Texas Panhandle for about nine years okay. before I came to Buffalo. Yeah, so Cargill is kind of similar business. Yeah, Cargill um, cattle feeders at okay. the time. Uh, Cargill's one of the largest privately owned companies in the United States, but they had a division that was called Caprock Industries, which was um, a cattle feeding business, and that's where um, I went to work in their management uh, team at several feed yards, mm-hmm. and um, basically learned my skill set that I yeah. have today. Yeah. So when you're in high school, then you're growing up small town. You're doing playing every sport, multiple things. You're doing everything because you need to do everything because they need well, people as well, right? Well, there was only eight of us in my senior class. Yeah. So there, there, if you didn't participate in everything, there wasn't enough people. Yeah. So um, the good news is we we got to you got to start on every basketball or, or sports team that you were on. You know, uh, the the unfortunate part was we wasn't really that good. <laughs> But we got to participate, and we, you know, we were in in all activities. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was it was a great to uh, to grow up in a small town where everyone knows you, you know everyone, and your parents know what you did wrong before you got home. Mm-hmm. So, it was a community <laughs> raising all yeah. of us. Yeah. So, so at that time, then you're growing up is, is just Oklahoma state, like just that's, you know, that's the next path for you. That's the plan. There was no other university. It was like, okay, 
I grew up in agriculture, I want to be in the agriculture industry. Oklahoma State's generally the next place to go. Right. Um, Pretty much. I had two older brothers. Uh, Both had had gone to Oklahoma State. Um, One was in uh, animal science business, and he is currently uh, president of a bank locally in Woodward. And my other brother was a mechanical ag, which is kind of like an ag engineering degree. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was very familiar with the university, had been there um, a lot of times visiting them and visiting the school. And... um, was yeah it was it was my first and only choice yeah it's kind of probably nice to have older brothers in university already going there or like you've been familiar with it you know so you're not and obviously you're the youngest right so you're kind of like the baby as well that's right right <laughs> they gotta take care of you how'd you figure that out <laughs> <laughs> i'm the oldest so i have a younger brother i know exactly how that goes yeah so it was nice to be um that first day on campus as a freshman, you're not intimidated. You don't know. Uh, you've already been there, you know, over the years, many, many times. And, and you know, that was uh, one of the things that I tried to do with my children is, is get them out and have them uh, experience a lot of things like that. So that first day they're on their own, they're not intimidated by the, by the size and the scope of the university and the diversity of the people. Yeah. What, uh, what, other than just agri, you know, ag econ, what else was, uh, I mean, focus at you of university? Did you have a good time? Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I had a very good time. <laughs> We're not going to talk about my grade point average today. That was one of the things that's, that is off limits on the podcast, but, um, no, I was involved in a, in a fraternity and, um, and that gave me a, a uh, opportunity to be involved in many things on campus. I was in student government organizations as the College of Ag Senator and uh, an Ag Ambassador to um, help um, prospective students and their parents to show them around the university and the College of Ag. Um, just, uh, you know, involved in intramural sports and and uh, things like that. It was, it was, um, it was a very, very a beneficial time for me to to grow and uh, learn a lot and then of course I was in uh, the Army's ROTC program so I was involved in a lot of things going on there as well yeah what what what, uh, what leads you to you know follow and go into the uh, the um, the ROTC and the military side of things Do your family that that served as well uh, well my my grandfather had served but um, you know, it was an opportunity growing up in a, in a, in a, um, it was an opportunity to help pay for school. Okay. Right. So the, op- the army offered, uh, quite a few different, uh, benefits to, you know, signing and being in reserves and being in that. So I was able to, um, help fund my college experience without loans. Yeah. Great way to do it. I it did, uh, you have a debt. It's just to the government instead yeah. of to the bank. You sign up for how many years? That's you right. Serve, right. I had um, the current major general of the Oklahoma National Guard on recently, and he he did the you know the National Guard. They're all working right. people, right? You know, it's uh, it's amazing the resources that you have available to yourself if you, like you said, you know, commit to however much time you know being in the reserves or being in the National Guard and. You know, it's not an easy thing to do, right? If you get called up, then you know you've kind of got to go. That's right. It is, but it's um, it's a great way to get you know education, help, and and you know see the world as well. I would say it served me and my um, my role here. Mm-hmm. Um, probably uh, the best leadership training um, through the military, through ROTC, through through my classes there, and then on further into the military and. Um, you know, some of the more challenging schools, um, it, it definitely, uh, will help you set apart, uh, from your, from your peer group. Yeah. Do you miss it? Uh, on, there's some days that I miss it a lot. And then I remember the, the, all of the things that I don't miss. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, uh, you, you get nostalgic, right. Yeah. And you, re- you only remember the good days. So, yeah, it's probably, I miss similar, that. it's probably similar to, you know, if you've grown up on a farm at a young age, right. You're up at, you know, a l- very early in the morning, 
you probably just have, in, you know, in the military, you just have someone shouting at you earlier in the morning than maybe you do on a farm. That's right. <laughs> and they're not related to you. Yes. <laughs> so, no, that was um, um, being young and wanting to go uh, see a lot of places and, and being from a very small community in Northwest Oklahoma, it was a great opportunity to see the world. Yeah. So, so you have your, you know, you go through your years at, at, um, at Oklahoma state and you know, you're doing the ROTC thing, you go into the reserves, but then you, instead of going into business straight away, you decide to follow down the military path a bit further. Tell me about that. Right. So, um, you know, it was in the, in the late eighties mm-hmm. graduating and, uh, there was, slightly a, a, a small economic crisis going on in the United States. And, you know, ground zero of that would have been Oklahoma. Um, and so the um, job opportunities were um, not abundant in the, in the middle, late 80s. And so it was a great opportunity to just to, to, uh, to number one, serve. Uh, number two, um, do something that's hard uh, with a with a group of people that you like, and uh, and so you really build a team when you're um, going through hard things together, and um, that was one of the things that when you look back and and remember the good days, it was the people that you were with and that you were you were going through. Um, extreme challenges with that you uh, look back at those times and like, you know, those were, those were good days. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, it's like you just said, it's great leadership training, right? right? Cause there's so many things that you can translate to what you do now, you know, making, being around a great group of people. And I, and I know just from some research and a video that Nikki sent to me was that, you know, you've got people who've been working here for 25, 30 years and they wouldn't be doing that. if They didn't enjoy the people they worked around. Right. So, you know, you said something about family and, 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 um, this really is a family here. We have several, uh, you know, we have three generations of family members that are working here right now today in different levels of leadership, you know, um, a grandfather that's that's one of our lead maintenance guys and his grandson who's one of our new management training uh employees that's just graduated from college and uh you know we we um we all um take pride in what we do every day and we have a great team and um it shows by the results that they get yeah before we dive into more of the business today, tell me about Europe and going to Europe as, you know, a young, young military guy, right? To guard nuclear weapons and nuclear warheads. Like, yeah. So kind of stuff you hear about in movies, right? Not something you it, think you're actually going to do in person. It was, um, it was, it was a very, uh, it was very interesting. You know, I, I learned a little bit of German. So I was, I was, uh, that, this, I was there when the wall came down. Wow. Um, so, you know, we were at the time West Germany, and I was in in the in the southern southern part of West Germany. Uh, Heilbronn, Ulm, um, is beautiful. Uh, the Danube River ran through the town that I lived in. Um, well, I did learn that that um, protesters are there everywhere, and back in the day, the. Um, we had protesters at the nuke sites um, every Friday and Saturday night, and also learned that they were all salaried, paid protesters. That uh, that was their job was to come and protest. So, um, you know that what we see today that's going on in the world has been going on for a long time. It's just uh, social media has raised the um, focus of it, mm-hmm. where we're all more of a, aware of of some of those things. Yeah. So it was um, it was a good experience. I I made uh, some some friends with some German uh, German folks, and um, one of my uh, lieutenant buddies and I we uh, we coached German American football. So we had uh, 14, 13, 14, 15 year old German boys playing American football, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
So the getting involved in the community there was a little different because there was a little bit of a language barrier and then trying to, uh, to tell the, a German uh, young man in, in English and broken German a play in football. Uh, so we basically, we figured that out with flashcards. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's brilliant. My wife and I uh, got married in in um, in ninety, and our first six months of marriage was my last six months in Germany. Oh, okay. So that was a lot of fun to uh, be over there together, um, you know, away from away from family, and uh, obviously we had to rely on each other because neither one of us spoke good enough German to. <laughs> To get around in the community very well. Yeah. I mean, it's a great way to see, you know, like it's nice you're working, you're serving, but also, you know, you've, you've got your other half there, right? What they're with you is, it would have been a lot harder if she was here for the first right. six months of marriage. That's right. That would have been a lot harder. Yeah. So it was great. Were you, so you were in the airborne at that time or still in kind of infantry rangers? So, um, I had gone through the airborne school and the ranger school. Yeah. Um, I served in the second of the fourth infantry. Okay. So that was a, an infantry company sure. uh, battalion that um, guarded the Pershing II nuclear yeah. warhead. So we were attached to the, we were the infantry unit attached to, to provide sure. security. Did, did you have kind of the leadership around you that time that did anyone kind of say, hey, I think you're good at this. You should, you know, do you think, what do you think about a career in the military instead of, you know, going back into the ag world. Uh, yeah, I absolutely did. And, um, you know, it was just a, more of a family decision sure. of, um, you know, it's it's a great place to be um, when you're single. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot harder place to be when you're married and wanting to start a family. So. Yeah. I think it was more of a family decision to uh, leave the military. Sure. And then you mentioned then, I guess you go into doing a master's when you come back. Right. What leads you to doing a master's? Uh, it was a good transition okay. to uh, get your mind out of the day-to-day the -day government uh, military uh, terminologies and to transition into civilian life. And uh, and so that's that's what I chose to do to to, to try to uh, just kind of get my mindset back into yeah. everyday civilian thought processes. Yeah, are you are you working at, at Cargill while you do your master's? No, sir. Well, I'm still in the master's. military. Okay. Yeah. So I, you I, get paid I, so, well. so I was I was um, I was a an executive officer of a basic training unit okay. uh, at the time and. Um, um, had a lot of free time yeah. uh, compared to the line unit that I'd served on in Europe. And so um, I chose to fill that free time with college courses. Right. And then just the plan is I'm going to get a degree in master's in management that's going to better, you know. Right. It'll, it'll give me a little bit broader perspective uh, and more opportunity, hopefully. So. Yeah. Do you have any, you know, while this is all going on, do you have any kind of hobbies or interests that are centered around the ag world at that time? Do you always have, kind of have your toe in the water or is it? No, totally I was, I was, I was totally out of all of that. Um, but th there was, there was uh, very, no, there was no opportunities for me to be um, involved in that where I was at in, yeah. in Germany or Georgia. I was totally immersed in the military, so. Got you. So, well, let's fast forward a little bit then. So you, you do your master's, you go to Cargill, you have your time there, and then the opportunity comes up for you to come back to Oklahoma. Yeah. How does that opportunity come about? Um, well, so it was after 9-11, and, um, you know, we had decided as a family that we, we wanted to move back from the Texas panhandle into the area where we had uh, both grown up. My wife and I both grew up in the same area, and, uh, you know, we wanted to be able to raise our family where they could be able to know their grandparents and and uh, be in a uh, closer to home, and so uh, we moved back here, and then uh, an opportunity opened up at Buffalo Feeders, and uh, you know, 21 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> Did you know much about this place growing up, or was it on? The uh, growing up, no. Okay. Um, as I became a. It, immersed into the in the cattle feeding business um i became much more aware of it and uh, and 
um, had been here a couple of times just visiting uh, the feed yard, um, you know, prior to, to coming to work here. Yeah. What kind of piques your interest around just the cattle feeding business? Is it like the health side, the meat side? I mean, it's quite a big operation. So, <clears throat> you know, um, the business side of, of the, the, the economic side of, of it is, I guess, where um, what draws me in because there's the cattle, there's the cattle market. There's the purchasing of the cattle. There's the selling of the cattle. Uh, there's the commodities, the, the buying of the commodities, the, the risk management involved in the cattle and the commodities, um, the finance side of it, uh, because we, we finance cattle, we finance feed. Um, it's every aspect of ag economics and finance and animal health and uh, nutrition and maintenance and engineering and technology, it all comes together in a feed yard. So if there's one of those areas that you're um, more suited or you feel more comfortable in, um, you can still be successful in a feed yard. You, there's just every day something new. It's, it's um, a very dynamic business. Um, and if you think you have it figured out, the weather will change your mind. And it will provide challenges for you. Yeah. So, Yeah, I mean, it sounds... Back to kind of what you said earlier about, you know, doing something hard with people that you like. Yeah. Obviously, this isn't as hard physically as going, you know, being in the military. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But mentally and logistically, it sounds a lot like it. Yeah, there's days, yeah. right? There's days. So... <clears throat> When winter weather comes in, um, you know, we'll, we'll go to the grocery store, buy, buy food for the week, and, and everyone will basically will stay here and care for the cattle, um, get the cattle fed, get the cattle, the roads cleaned, the pens cleaned. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of nights away from home uh, taking care of the uh, cattle at the feed yard versus versus being at home in a nice, warm, comfortable bed. Um, but that's just what we do, and that's, that's what you have to do. Um, but when you have a, a, a good team of people that are all doing everything they can to, uh, to work together to, to, to get it done, um, that, that's, you know, those are, those are, again, they're not good memories the day you're making them, but a year later, they're fond memories. Yeah. Yeah, those ice storms are not fun, no, right? No, there's there's no nothing fun about it. But um, you know, we'll we laugh now about the two a.m. Uh, trying to get a loader unstuck that's stuck on the highway. So yeah. from in a in a snow black bank. Yeah, I'm sure that's uh, at the time. It's you know you're kind of cussing at the world I guess and then yeah. you know and then years later you just like remember that yeah we got through that that was awesome yeah there's um you know <clears throat> I've uh, one year I had a we had a, a storm right before Christmas and uh, I just I remember it was the third day haven't been hadn't had a shower and hadn't been home but um getting getting finished at the feed yard and making it to the church to meet my family and taking all of my overalls and boots off outside and going in with uh, for the Christmas Eve service and uh, sitting a long ways away from everyone because I smelled pretty bad. <laughs> but you made it. But That's we good. made it. Yeah. So for people listening who probably don't have any idea, like myself, of logistically and just how a, you know, a, a feed business works, like go into as much detail as like how would you explain to people how this business works how it makes money like yeah. you know, how it you know sustains itself so so primarily we are a custom feed yard so most of the cattle here are owned by customers throughout the United States so this is basically a five star resort for cattle okay. so we provide uh, care feed and marketing services for those customers so when the, um, I'll just give you an example, a set of cattle would come in today uh, from, like I got a 
cattle from a ranch in uh, down by Houston, Texas this week. And they will come in and we will weigh them as a group and then we will assign them a, a lot number uh, and an individual number. Um, we will weigh them all individually. Uh, we will um, <clears throat> give them some vaccines that will help their immune system uh, while they're through this uh, the stress of changing from a, a grass grazing environment to a feed yard environment. Um, and then we will tr slowly transition them from a um, grass-based diet to a starch-based diet over 21 to 28 days, slowly as their, 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 the gut biome in that animal has to change from a cellulose-digesting bacteria to a starch digesting bacteria and we do that um, with some direct fed microbials which would be like taking a a, a proba, probiotic um, so that helps the animal um, naturally transition their their gut and we've found that if you can keep the gut healthy the, the rest of the animal stays healthy. So we spend a lot of time trying to focus on um, gut health and um, preventing any disease. If we can prevent it, um, then we don't have to then doctor that animal and give it antibiotics. Um, you know, if, if one gets sick, and there will be occasionally an animal that, that gets sick, then we want to... Um, pull it from the pen and take it to our hospital and, and treat it. But um, those are very uh, small numbers. We, we, we treat very few cattle. Um, and when we do, we, uh, we have strict protocols that we follow, um, both in cattle handling and product placement and product usage. Uh, going back to our beef quality assurance program. Uh, and we, uh, going back to the beef quality assurance program, um, you know, we are, we train on that. We train all of our employees. Uh, we also are audited and we will be audited uh, three different times this year by three different independent auditors uh, just to uh, look at our procedures, um, our training, and just to ensure that we're doing the right things right. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, maintaining the right standard, right? And then keeping that um, reputation that you are the right place for people to send, you know, their, their cattle to. Yeah. So um, back to the feed. Um, so, you know, we're, we're a 30,000 head feed yard. So... Um, on any given day, we'll make about 850 to 900,000 pounds of feed wow. fresh every day. Um, each pen has a um, GPS location and the feed truck has a GPS indicator and, and so it knows where it's supposed to be. Um, and uh, so we will feed each pen three times a day, each group of cattle. And... Uh, we uh, we we walk our cowboys walk each pen every day. We check for fresh water and fresh feed and any sickness or any issues and maintenance that needs to be done in that pen. And we do that 365 days a year. Um, and um, yeah, we have a, a a great group of professionals that are out there uh, looking after our cattle and doing our maintenance and making our feed and delivering our feed. Yeah. How long are the animals here? So um, an average, I would say six months. Okay. So depending on what they weigh coming in um, and, and their, their breed and their sex, their quality, but um, on average about 180 days. Yeah. Is there like a certain age like limit they've got to get to or a certain age before they can be sent to you and then... What's kind of like, the, how, how do you guys fit into the process of like, you know, 
middle of the road before they go to right. you know becoming steps. so depending on the producer the yeah. uh, the, the cattle owner's <clears throat> operation um a lot of a lot of a lot of people a lot of producers will uh, take that stalker period where they will take that young four or five hundred pound calf and it will be run on grass or wheat pasture grass in the summertime wheat pasture in the winter and spring and when that when that grazing season is finished is when the cattle will be shipped to us and so typically when they're coming in here they're at 12 to 16 months of age and then when they're going out they're at 20 to 24 months, 25 months of age. Gotcha. How, I mean, that's, it's quite an operation, right? Like it's, when you you mentioned technology earlier, I'm sure technology has just been a massive help with, you know, in the time that you've been here, how things have evolved, you know, with new technologies coming in and just being able to manage everything. Right. So we are very detail oriented. We use a lot of statistics. We, we weigh every individual animal every time it goes through a shoot and then we will sort them based on their individual average daily gain and their marketing group um today that we're we're doing a test um where we've taken dna on a group of cattle and we're sorting them based on a certain gene that we have identified that is a positive growth promotant versus a negative growth. And we're, we're sorting those cattle, uh, doing a test to see if that uh, will line up with what we think it, it, it says in the, in the research. Yeah. Is that something that kind of everybody does in your industry or is that something, I mean, is there anything that you I would say no. no. I, I would say um, it's a very small group that sure. are doing the, the individual animal management and then, an even smaller group that's doing uh, the DNA work. Yeah. Is that just um, to, you know, just increase services for your customers or does that also help further down the line as well? It, it increases services for the customers, sure. but but it, the bottom line is we're trying to improve, lower the cost of gain, improve the conversion of the feed that we feed per pound of gain. So we're a more sustainable uh, mm-hmm. operation if we can feed less feed and produce more pounds of beef um, which also translates into more profit for the customer mm-hmm. and then a by doing a better job of sorting the cattle we are improving their sales price mm-hmm. when we're marketing those cattle so we're lowering the cost again and improving the sales price so we're we're, we're gaining profits on both sides of that equation yeah and well and, and as you say that like it's it's kind of a reminder to people listening that you know you're a service to the customer that owns the animals right that's right like you know a lot of people might think you know i, I just have a job to do i just need to feed the cattle and that's it you know keep them healthy and then just pass them on down the line because i'm not going to gain the extra profit that the customer is going to gain when they go to sell that but you guys look at it through a service perspective and how you know the more care we do the better service we provide the better word gets around that people are going to send us our animals and that's how we're going to make more money and sustain and grow and you know yeah that's it's a it's, great model it's um the more that we can do to help that customer <clears throat> we are basically the knowledge center mm-hmm. for the cattle industry and for everything that affects that animal from from finance to risk management to health to nutrition to marketing for those customers throughout the united states one of the great things economically for oklahoma that a feed yard does is it takes customers that are from florida or texas or anywhere in the southeast that own cattle they're taking their investment dollars and bringing them to Oklahoma to add that value. Mm-hmm. So we're adding um, the in- economic impact of a feed yard in Oklahoma <clears throat> is about um, 10 to 15 times uh, factor. So it's, it's a huge impact. We're the largest, one of the largest employers in Northwest Oklahoma. <clears throat> 
and um, we're one of the largest non-governmental employers in in this area. Um, you know, we'll have a, a $2 million payroll, um, and we'll have 120 or $130 million that will flow through the feed yard any given year just in cattle and grain and commodities. So it's a huge huge economic impact to the area. Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking of the amount of feed that you've got to get, right. Right. You know, just to keep those things rolling, but also, you know, the fact that, like you said, it's, it's not just the animals Like you have the, you know, the vet that's on site, you've got, I mean, the trucks, it's everything, right. It's people don't think of just how wide the economic impact is. They might just think, Oh, it's just cattle and feed, but there's a lot more that goes into it. I mean, even just, the mechanics to keep the tra- trucks and trail tracks and trails going, or even just people that build in the feedlots and the pens and the material that comes from that. Like it's, it's a massive impact. Yeah. And there's, there's one other thing that goes with uh, feeding 850,000 pounds of feed. So we produce a lot of fertilizer. Uh, okay. And so um, one of the things that is a benefit to our local farmers is they come and get the uh, compost mm-hmm. and spread it on their fields which is, again, going back to the sustainability is they're not having to buy fertilizer for their farms. They're able to use the uh, feed yard waste Mm -hmm. and compost to go back onto their fields and to produce a a better crop. Yeah, again, I'm glad you said that because I would never have thought of that. Uh, And people listening probably wouldn't either. So it's, it's, I mean... you know, most people just, they just don't even think about these places, right? It, they might pass them on the highway and just think, oh, cool. Kind of smells funny. There's a lot of Kind of smells funny, there. yeah. Right? <laughs> That's it, you know? Well, I was blessed with having poor, poor, uh, poor sense of smell. <laughs> great business. Great place for you to be. That's right. <laughs> uh, with, kind of related to the, the feedlots as well. Is there, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of logistically and just like the flow of things too, right? Yeah, it must be hard figuring out where we've got to get these cattle, you know, in and out of places. And there's a lot of people here, a lot of people, a lot of cattle here as well. And, and you know, it's it's like a giant game. It can be a giant game of Tetris. How do you work about kind of herding and getting everyone in the right place and right. just without, you know, and you mentioned kind of disease, injuries, whatever it is, like, you know, that's people don't think of that either, thinking I've got to get, you know, all these cattle, you know, into a pen or to see the vet or whatever it is. Right. Like, how's that work? <clears throat> so we have a we have a, a good leadership group here that's uh, has a lot of experience, and they um, every day that that we're planning the next day and the next following days work schedule. So when this animal, when this group of animals comes in, we're determining what days they're going to be things are going to be happening in their uh, production process for the next 180 days. So we have this long-range look on what's going to happen with that group of cattle. So we know, um, you know, 100 days out, what day they're going to come back and get reweighed. Um, we know when their feed schedule is going to be. So, yeah, we have a, a, a good leadership team that... Um, schedules the work schedule every day and so uh, all of the employees at the end of the day know what the work schedule is going to look like for the next day yeah and they know what the priorities are Um, and so we we try to uh, let people know not only what they're going to be doing but why yeah the why is what gets people bought into the to the program if they understand why it's important that um the job they're doing and how it fits into the whole process, um, their body into the, to the team, to the team yeah. program. As far as kind of, kind of related to that, as far as just feedlots around the country and just the general construction of the feedlots, do they all kind of follow the same model? Are they all kind of built similar or is yours different to any others? Um, they're generally similar. Sure. I mean, uh, a concrete bunk that the feed is delivered into um, and then there's a, a, a concrete bunk apron where the cattle are standing. And that's just because uh, that area has a lot more wear. Um, you know, we, we, uh, 
the, we, we, we monitor how many square footage each animal has. So we want to make sure they have plenty of room, uh, how much square, uh, how many inches of bunk space each animal has. So they have lots of room to, uh, eat freely at, at any time they want to. Uh, but, you know, the, one of the things you'll notice when you look at cattle, whether they're in the pasture or in a feed yard, they're a herding animal and they feel more comfortable when they're close to each other. And that's when you see one off by itself, that's an indication that you need to check that animal because there may be something wrong with it. So when you come by a feed yard and you see, well, there's a lot of cattle standing in one area. It's not because it's a small area. It's because they're more comfortable being next to each other. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? And yeah, you're right. When you see someone off on its own, that's generally not a good sign. It's, it's definitely a, something to be checked out, right? Yeah, I'm sure you've seen things just over the years that you've been here, like just the knowledge that you have and everyone has because they've worked here, you know, for so long. You see things and you like, hang on, something's not right here. Let's go figure it out. Yeah, that's, that's um, a kind of management by exception, right? So that's one of the things that you learn is, is you look, you're not looking for everything that's right. You're looking for that thing that sticks out that's, that's not. And so when you're, um, I had a, a cowboy that when I was, that taught me one time when I first started that, um, he said, if that calf looks like he feels worse than you do, then he needs to be looked at. <laughs> so he'd had a bad night the night before, so. Yeah. Do you, do you have to worry about um, kind of like uh, breeding season, coughing season? Like, do you, do you have to take care of any of that stuff or do you not have to worry about that? Because so, that could be a major... It could be a right? major problem. Yeah. And so we sonogram okay. every female... Um, every heifer that comes into the feed yard mm -hmm. and um, we don't accept any bred heifers. Yeah. So we, we have, over the years, we've uh, learned that uh, through some research studies that uh, the economic impact of having a, a, a bred female coming into the feed yard, yeah. uh, number one, um, you know, the kevving issues, can be difficult. Yeah. Uh, and number two, you know, they're losing weight. They're not performing economically. So, you know, we take those and go back to the sale barn with those heifers and let them go back out into the, to the other part of the yeah. business stream. Yeah. It's that just one thing that came to mind, like that could be, a, you know, I'm thinking of uh, just, Bad weather, ice storms generally around calving season. And, and, and the spring is sp spring is a heavy part of calving season. Yeah. And so it, I tell you the the you know the being able to sonogram every individual that comes in and and our uh, our own crew does that. So we're we have our own trained sonogram team, yeah. and um, as we as we do that, it's reduced the workload mm -hmm. on everyone because of the problems that come with. Uh, uh, heifer pregnancy and a calving in the feed yeah. yard. Yeah. Yeah. So, kind of moving to current day, uh, you know, what's kind of plans for the future? You know, plans to expand or just maintain, or how do you kind yeah, of so also keep kind of in the kind of keep at the front of you know the industry as well, and with technology and, and statistics and the other stuff you guys are using. So we're constantly trying to improve and. Um, we just finished a, a uh, about a $600,000 project that we, um, we completely tore out all of our shipping and receiving pins and rebuilt those uh, where cattle flow and um, cattle care and, em and, and employee care are all kind of the important part. So when the cattle come in, there's no corners for them to catch a hip or to, to bruise themselves. So um, it improves carcass quality and improves, um, uh, reduces lameness. Um, um, we also have it where the cattle flow more naturally from the pen to the truck which reduces the stress on the cattle. It also re reduces the stress on the employee trying to load that truck. Um, 
we have also have that whole area under video surveillance so we can uh, one, we can count the cattle off the truck. We can count the cattle on the truck. Um, and then we can use those um, video for training our employees on situations where they could improve how they handle the cattle. Yeah. A lot of stuff goes into it. <laughs> right. So um, things. A project that we're working on uh, in the future this summer, we're going to do a major mill remodel. Um, that's going to be somewhere around a five and a half million dollar capital improvement project. And um, we're going to be kicking that off here in about 30 to 45 days. We've started some of the groundwork on that. Uh, we're going to be adding, uh, doubling our uh, capacity for grain holding. Uh, so we'll be able to hold more grain. Um, and at the same time, we're going to be putting in new steam flaking uh, flakers that will uh, reduce our energy usage by half mm. and cut the time that we um, process grain or we run those rolls by about 60-70%. So um, we're going to be doing that project. Um, we're also doing several uh, research projects. I've got one working with um, Oklahoma State on their um, on a on a range cube on a range research project uh, comparing a beef dairy cross animal versus a traditional beef animal on range and then in the feed yard. Uh, again, I told you we were working on a DNA project on a sorting project now. So um, one of the things that we like to do is continue to try to strive to improve. Um, if we're not able to improve in one area, then maybe we can improve the maintenance in that area. Maybe we can improve the employee's uh, work life in that area. Um, but uh, we're always trying to look for ways to do what we do better for the cattle and better for the employee. Yeah, it's like trying to be the Chick-fil-A of business, right? Just trying right. to be as, as, as uh, you know, as, um, God, I can't even think of the word, as efficient as possible. Yeah, efficient um, and safe and yeah. sustainable. Yeah, and economically impactful. Right. So it's it's kind of a a, a circle that we have to 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 check all of those boxes and um, um, you know and and our crew and they embrace the change. They look forward to it and. Uh, um, they're, it's a great team. Yeah. What's it like working alongside, you know, Oklahoma State students and, and the school as well, the School of Agriculture, as it, being an alumni and, you know, and a graduate? And yeah, it keeps you young. Yeah? Yeah. They So um, each year, uh, the stalker feeder class comes out to the feed yard, and, and we give a tour and get a lot of great questions from, uh, from those students. Um, we also have one of the ag leadership classes that come out every year in Oklahoma Cattlemen's brings their uh, young leadership group out and um, you know there's a lot of wide-ranging experiences and what I want the students to understand is if they want to have a satisfying and be a very successful career uh, the cattle business is a great place to start and um, if you're entrepreneurially oriented it's a great place. And if you don't have a lot of resources, like not many people can go out and just buy a ranch and start ranching, right? But you can own a few cattle in a feed yard and start off small and start off slow and work into a really nice cattle business. Yeah. There's plenty of those in this, in this state as well, right? That's right. Which is great. Uh Finishing up then, some fun questions. Uh, other than being a grandparent, when you do have free time, what do you do? Uh, my wife and I like to, uh, we like to exercise and work out and run. We, uh, we do a lot of, uh, we do 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons and things like that. Yeah. And, um, we like to travel and we, you know, for the last six months, we like to hold granddaughters. Right. 
<laughs> is running just something you took later in life or just something that's um, you because of the military? I, I would say it was one of those bad habits that formed in the military and yeah. stuck with me. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, you know, the, the Beef Council uh, promotes, uh, has a, a, a thing called Team Beef, and uh, I've been a part of it for quite a few years. My son uh, is part of it now. He just ran the uh, Oklahoma City Half Marathon this last couple weeks ago, as long my wife did as well. And it's just, it's a lot of fun when you have your, your beef team beef shirt on and you're out on a race and you know you got somebody yelling at you go beef go beef so you know it's uh and it's a good way to uh just uh interact with uh folks that really don't have any idea um what we do and yeah kind of share a little bit with them yeah i mean to that exact point right like people could drive past this place and think you know oh it's sad all the cattle are in there together right you know, or, or it smells, that must be horrendous. But after sitting with you for an hour, it makes total sense. I get it. It generates, you know, it's, it, it, it is needed, you know? And that's probably one of the tough things too that you guys fight is the stigma or just the, you know, people's perception when they have absolutely no idea or they didn't grow up in the country or they grew up in the city or they're like me, they're from a completely different country and the only thing that's big in the UK is sheep and it's so expensive for us to eat it because we ship it out and then we sell it all around the world so yeah I think um, education is the key to changing perceptions right and I I think that I could I'm confident that if I could spend 20 or 30 minutes with anyone um, they may not uh, they will completely understand what we do and how we do it and how we care for them and, and that it's, that we're passionate about it and that we we love what we do. We love the cattle and we love our employees and our customers and and um, that um, it's a it's a sustainable, wholesome environment. And you know, one of the great byproducts of it is you know we 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 grow really really great beef and it tastes great and you know i my family uh, you know what i feed my family i'd love to feed your family yeah to that point then last question what is the favorite cut of meat uh i have so many which is such a hard question but but the ribeye cap steak Okay, so if you take the ribeye and that little round part of the meat on the top that kind of stretches in an oval is the most tender, flavorful piece of the ribeye. So next time you bite in a ribeye, look at the top, that little wide round oval uh, half moon strip of meat on the top uh, and eat that first. I love it. I'm going to have to do that. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for inviting us into uh, into your place of business. Thanks for having us up here. Um, every day is busy for you, so I appreciate you taking some time out and holding calls for an hour to uh, to share some stories and, and kind of educate everyone listening on on the feed business. And um, yeah, let's have a let's have a good year and go pokes. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you all being here and. Uh, Go pokes. For everyone listening, uh, I'll post a link to the uh, feeder business in the description as well as some other awesome links. You can go check out, get some information, and uh, yeah, go buy that ribeye and enjoy that calf steak. So, sounds awesome. For people listening, we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned 
Oklahoma business. Down in El Reno, they're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This episode is presented by the Choctaw Nation. The Choctaw people have a rich history and a bright future. At the Choctaw Cultural Center, you can take part in a story 14,000 years in the making. Stroll through our immersive exhibits portraying Choctaw life from the moment our ancestors emerged from the Nani Weha in Mississippian homelands to the Trail of Tears, where we lost so many loved ones, and finally to the modern-day tribe making a positive impact on local communities throughout southeastern Oklahoma. Try your hand at our social dancing and stickball and learn more about our vibrant culture through demonstrations, workshops, and classes. The kids will have a blast in our Luxie Activity Center. The Choctaw Cultural Center is more than a museum. It's a living, breathing experience. Visit ChoctawCulturalCenter.com to plan your visit. This podcast is brought to you by the Oklahoma Beef Council. On behalf of Oklahoma's 50,000 beef farming and ranching families, we are working hard every day to bring high-quality beef to your table. To learn more, visit OKLABeef.org. That's OKLABeef.org, linked below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.